Welcome to Digitally Creative. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari, and joining me this week is someone whose face you've seen, but whose job role you may not fully know what he does. Um, I have the one and only Kevin Barnett from Carbide3D. Hi, Kevin. How you doing? I'm good, Vince. Thanks for having me on. I So people need to know, one of the things that inspired me to have you on was I had sent a support email to Carbide3D about uh, a couple of weeks ago asking some Corian settings. And I get a response from you. And I'm like, wait a minute. I thought he was just like the YouTube guy. Like I had no idea that you actually did more for the company than actually, you know, just be their face on YouTube. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for Carbide3D and what your role with the company is and so on. At this point, I'm director of content, and that's not so much a giant title as it's designed to create a, a size of job when I when I deal with some outside companies or larger media entities. So I'm responsible for not only my own content, but also some other content you see coming from other creators and people who we sponsor or who we have some deals with. You've seen Andy Bird on our channel. We've had mm -hmm. uh, hand lettering artist on. We've had uh, a number of other people shoot videos for us, and I'm responsible for managing them as well as finding new folks to add to our channels. In addition to building the education side, doing the Instagram, and maintaining the YouTube. One of the one of the things I love about, and I've loved about your videos since I got my machine, is you seem to be very good at breaking down not just the how to do a project but how to turn that project into something that you could use if you were, for example, if you buy a Shape Oco and you want to start a business because it's an investment, it's a two to $3,000 machine. And you do more than just say, here's a cool project you can make with it. You go, here's a cool project you can make with it. And here's how to really ramp it up and start making it into a moneymaker. Um, is that something that you are naturally interested in? Or is that like, where does that focus come from for you? I think for a lot of people, that's a concern because you are making a sizable investment, three to $4,000 or more nowadays with our machines. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of money. It was yeah. a lot of money for me when I bought my Shapeoko 3 back in late 2016. And I want people to understand a Shapeoko is a money maker, not a money taker. Right. This is not you just blowing a bunch of cash. This is you providing yourself with some capability that if you want to utilize, you can. And whatever your money-making aspirations are, the Shapeoko is there for you. Mm -hmm. And and we're here for you. That's more importantly the message from the company is that Carbide3D is your partner in CNC. The purchase of a machine is the very beginning of our relationship with you. It's not the end of a sales process. It's somewhere in the middle or the very beginning in terms of our service to you. And that's why MyCarbide3D.com exists. That was part mm -hmm. of my marching orders when I was hired full time was to make that uh, come to fruition. It was something the company had wanted for a long time, something we're very proud of that if you're brand new to CNC, you can go over to mycarbide3d.com and you can go all the way from figuring out what CNC is to I'm running the pro version of the software. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so for me, I, I want you, the user, whether you want to make a little bit of money or a lot of money, to have some ideas of where to go. And so many of my videos are about ideas. It's not beating you over the head, this is what you have to do, or this right. is exactly how you have to do something. I want you to go, oh, okay, this is a good idea. 
or that's a nice starting point. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and and then take it to another level or take it to your own customization level, which is the beauty of Shapeoko. Everything you make can be your own thing. I do love I do love the way the last video you the last video you put on the channel. Um, it's so funny because we decided you were going to come on and then you made that video. And I was like, this is exactly the kind of thing I want to talk to him about. So you did. I'm, I know myself included. I'm not a terrific artist. Um, I, I'm a good designer, but I'm not a great artist. And, you know, your whole video, the whole premise was, you know, find an art. If you're not a good artist, find one, partner with them, make it worth their while and they'll make it worth your while. And that gives you an edge. And those are the kind of nuggets. It's like, yeah, why didn't I think of that? Like, yeah, partner with an artist. Like, of course, that's a great idea. Um, do you have do you have a team of people working with you to brainstorm these ideas or like what's the scope of the operation for what you do there as far as the video production side? Yeah, inside the company, we talk a lot about the different ideas, different directions, strategy, the things we want to present and how we want the company positioned. It's a very important position for the company. I don't take the responsibility lightly of being mm -hmm. director of content that I end up being the forward facing part of the company for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and in terms of jumping in on support to your question earlier, I'm here to help out. Uh, right. I'm a worker and, and this company is filled with doers. This company is not filled with miscellaneous meetings. This company is filled with people who are doing things every day. And if something needs to get done for the betterment of the company, that's what it is. And so when support passes me something, yeah, I respond because they've thought that I'm maybe a good person to solve that particular issue. So for me, I, I think it's extremely important what I do and how I do it and not, there won't be mistakes, but I, I value my time and I value the company's investment in me. I can show Let's... you all the secrets here, but <laughs> I got to, for those of you, you could be jealous. I got a slight peek at some of that as we were <laughs> setting up here. It's very interesting stuff. Um, you were, you said you got your first machine in 2016, and that's also really interesting because that's around the time I got, I'm just going to say it, I got a competitor's machine, I made a mistake, I atoned for my sins and changed ways, but um, how did you, what is your maker history like? Because if you're buying a, if you're buying a CNC in 2016, you're not just a guy like tinkering in their garage. You have some kind of idea or you already have experience and you're looking to up your game, so why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got to the point where you were buying a CNC? Like what's your history as a maker, woodworker, creator, or however you got started? How much research did you do on me, Vince? Did you Google my name? You know, I try not to. I like to let the, I like to let the guests tell their own story just a hair. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, in, in terms of making stuff, mm -hmm. I grew up, I think for a lot of people, it's either in you or not in you for a lot of folks. Right. I grew up racing RC cars. And when really? I say RC cars, I'm talking about RC models. You know, okay. um, the competitor in me loved to do that. And the nerd in me that painted uh, Warhammer miniatures and Blood Bowl miniatures uh, kind of are, are all one. So wow, <clears throat> I grew up racing RC cars. I always wanted to, to manufacture my own parts. And you try and do it with a, not, back then it wasn't even a Dremel. It's like, you're just trying to do it with whatever files you have on hand or tools you have around the house. To, a lot of emery boards. <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh, I made this, look, I made this part for my car. I, I made a chassis. So I, I've always kind of had that in me. And, and then in college I had a bunch of reptiles as pets and I built cages for them. 
and I started collecting tools at that point. Mm-hmm. So I started with a circular saw and a jigsaw and, and things went from there. I got a table saw as my wedding gift from my family. My extended family gave me that as my wedding <laughs> present back in 2000. Nice. Uh, my did you have family, to register for it or did they just know? <laughs> did you have to register for it? <laughs> no, it was their idea. Okay, uh, good, good. <laughs> I have several uncles who have been woodworkers. My grandfather was an unbelievable woodworker. Uh, he was also a, a chemist a chemist by trade, worked for DuPont back in, in Delaware. Mm-hmm. So I some of that I just come to naturally. My father had no idea what to do with a hammer, nor does my brother. So <laughs> wow, that's why I think it's just in you because my brother has no interest, but I have a tremendous amount of interest. So I started looking around after doing some development work and and developing some products and having other people do work on a Haas for molds and then having stuff made overseas and going and seeing their operation. I wondered, can I do this at home? And this is around 2014. So it's not long into the actual journey for Nomad and Shape Oko. Uh, with with Rob and George and Ed and everybody who's behind uh, Carbide 3D. So I start looking and I'm looking around and I, and I, like many people, look at the investment and go, wow, that's that's a lot of money. And I'm not sure how to recapture the money at that point. I'm not sure what the machine can do. I just know I'm interested in, in terms of what it can do long term or what it can make. Right. And I started watching videos and this is when DIY on YouTube started becoming a thing. And lo and behold, I come across Winston Moy. And Winston's oh, if you're going to get addicted, that's the guy to start watching. <laughs> yeah, He's back there in New Jersey. He's in his extra room. He's making too much noise. He's, you know, whatever he's doing. And so I, I followed Winston and watched him for a little while. And I thought, yeah, I, I want to buy this machine. And the Shape Oko is for me. The Shape Oko 3 had just come out not too long before that. And so I, I told my wife, I eventually said, look, I'm going to spend like two grand for me and for the kids get involved and we're just, it's going to work out. Trust me to work out. And so, okay, great. So I, I bought a machine and actually my son finished assembling it. My older son, who I think was at 13 or 14 at the time, he's now a mechanical engineering major uh, up at Santa Barbara. So he started and finished the machine and then three guys ran it all youngsters, something between 15 and, and 13. They all ran it for the first time. Outside, I have pictures. If you look carefully in some of the early videos or some videos, you'll see pictures of my sons and, and their friends running the machine. That's wild. And I was off and running. And that's how I started doing it. I had no knowledge myself of how to do CAD or how to do CAM. I knew lightly what they were because I have a friend who runs houses in his garage who's an incredible mold maker and machinist. But I had no personal knowledge. And so I started from zero, just like a lot of people now. I think it's. I think that's one thing that, you know, I feel like the one thing that the hobbyist, well, it's more, obviously it's more than a hobbyist level, but I do think that there is something to be said about the hobbyist level CNC's the, that are made for like home users where you can know nothing. And even if it's with training wheels, so to speak, you can get up to speed relatively quickly. And, you know, whether you outgrow the included software and move on to something else or not, there's a lot of room for growth, but the curve is a gentle one. Like if you just want to carve stuff, simple stuff, you can get doing that real quick, no matter how much you know. And then if you really want to, you want to start 3D carving and doing rest machining and stuff like that, you can learn that too and get down to that part pretty quick too. It's it's remarkable how much 
they can bring someone along these machines, particularly, I mean, I'm a fan of the shape Oko. I've had my three now, I think I'm going on my third or fourth year of having it. And it's how it pulls you in. It's like, okay, here, look how easy this is. And then you start doing, you're like, well, if it's that easy to do that, what else can I do? And you start like going down the rabbit hole of like, wow, this, this right. is actually a really fun to operate machine. You know, a friend of mine okay. told me the best part of the machine is you're hiring another employee to do the things you don't want to do. And I'm like, yeah, it can work while I'm working. And it never happens. What ends up happening is the machine's running. I'm standing five inches from it going, this is still really cool to watch. <laughs> that happens here. Everybody here at some point will say, all right, I, I have to walk away. I, yeah. I will just sit and watch it cut. And I still have that fascination with what the machine can do. And people just need to understand and get over some of the fear, I think, when they're thinking about getting a machine. Sure. That it is a, a journey. And mm -hmm. you will start out with, for instance, on mycarbide3d.com, the first five projects. Simple yeah. signs, coasters, buy cutting boards at Ikea, throw them in the machine. It doesn't have to be an exercise in stupefying the internet every time you go to make something. And in fact, for most people, it never is. Right. There's a lot to be said for simple cuts that look nice sure. uh, and, and variation of material. And don't be afraid to experiment. Don't be afraid to carve the outside of a Zippo lighter just because you can. You know? <laughs> I don't know, put a drag engraver in there and see what that does. And if you're unhappy with that because it didn't do enough, it just kind of gave a background image, go ahead and get out a PCB engraver and and use that on there. And it turns out that looks pretty cool. So yeah. don't lose that adventurous spirit. I think uh, if anything, this, this hobby or this business will kindle or nurture that in you if you have that adventure and curiosity. You convey you convey your enthusiasm for what you do really, really well. Um, and one of the things that I always found interesting about you in the videos is there doesn't seem to be like that. I'm putting this on because I work for the company type thing. You genuinely seem to not only know what you're doing, but you seem to be enthusiastic about the product and your presentation is super polished. So I've been dying to ask you this question. Do you have any media experience before going to work for Carbide 3D? Because there is, I, I'm just going to speculate. There is no way in hell you're as polished as you are with no prior experience. So tell me what media experience you had. And if you tell me nothing, I'm just going to sit here and be utterly shocked about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been doing television for 10 years. There it That's is. My, my I knew it. Job. Yeah. Okay. I do sports television and I still really? sometimes I'll disappear for a little bit because I go away and, and I'll do some things. If you watch the Summer Olympics this last year, I was at the Summer Olympics. That's why Carbide 3D went to Tokyo is because I was oh, there wow. for okay. the Summer Olympic Games. Uh, I've been on television for the last 10 years talking about volleyball, basketball, motocross, uh, supercross, uh, terracross racing, anything anyone will pay me to talk about. That's, that's, what I, that's how I made my living. So you go to Carbide 3D and they're like, listen, <laughs> listen, we got the perfect thing for you to do among your other job duties. Like you're good on camera. Let's get you in front of the camera more. Because I have noticed there's been an uptick in the videos too out, out of um, out of HQ. Like there, there's more. And I noticed like at some point they went from more like watching the machine do a thing to you 
just a, sitting there addressing the camera, showing a project, you know, with B-roll of the project happening. It's almost like, like the production value went up. Like you guys were trying to look more like a, like, um, like YouTube maker videos than corporate promotion videos. I thought that was kind of an interesting shift. I'm glad that that's coming through because it's not meant to be a corporate shill. Obviously we yeah. sell machines and we sell lots of stuff that goes with machines. And at the end of the day, we're here to sell machines. That's what of we course. do. But we're also here to support the people who use the machines. And that separates us from everyone else. That's Nobody the difference. Else. That's yeah. the difference. Your, the videos that you guys put out have value to people who already own the machines. It's not just a flashy demonstration of, hey, if you want to buy the machine, look what you can do. It's like, no, you have the machine. Now here's what you can do with it. Uh, you find that a lot of what we do is geared towards that. A lot of the discussions yeah. we have here are geared towards that. We want to feed the flock. We want you guys to be making great stuff and being excited about your machines. We don't want a machine to be like a stationary bike sale in 1987. <laughs> we don't want bike to end up in your room and have clothes hanging on it. We don't want the machine to go in your garage and end up with a bunch of paint cans on it. That is not at all our goal because that does nobody any good. You spent a bunch of money. You didn't learn how to use it. You're probably ticked off about it. And you're not happy and you're going to go away. So you haven't had success and we don't have success long term. Mm -hmm. We are a company that wants to be around and wants to service a, a community and build a company around the idea that you at home can do these things, whether for your art, for your hobby or for your business, any one of those three things, whatever level you want to do it at. If you just want to recapture your costs of your machine, you want to make $4,000 with the machine and you want to be done making money, but you zeroed out that number because that was important to you. We want to make that available. Right. You can sell cutting boards for six months to a year to everyone you know and who they know, and you will pay your machine off. Yeah. Done. One product over and over again without having to get into Etsy and get into the algorithm and somehow sell stuff to the random public. You can do it with your people alone every time. All you got to do is take one to a party and you'll sell five. That's yeah. my, one of my things. Give, give one, sell five every time. Now that's you're going to have to make three magic. to make it perfect. Mm -hmm. But that's another, that's another thing. Look, if I make something three times, it's really good. I think mm -hmm. generally I hit it at the third one. The first one, sometimes I get it. Sometimes it's okay. <laughs> Second one, pretty good. Third one. Yes. Well, I wanted to talk about your process a little bit because, you know, obviously you work as part of the company that makes the machines. And, you know, a lot of the stuff you show in the videos is like, oh, wow, I didn't even know you could do that with the machine. Like I've seen you do some projects like when you're doing the coins, it's like, yeah. whoa, that's really freaking cool. Like I, I have the machine and I never thought like, oh, all right. Yeah, that's something I should probably try to do. How much of the video process like what is the process for planning a video look like like who comes up with the ideas you know how much testing do you do before you start filming the idea and producing the video and like what's that production schedule look like for you because based on what i've seen it would appear that you put a lot into it before the video even starts getting filmed so what's that process look like for you guys i film pretty much everything i do there are okay. rare times that I'm cutting something that is not getting filmed. Uh, that's part of the, the mantra from on high. And if, if somebody comes to me, somebody meaning one of the three owners and say, I want this, or I think we should do this. 
Okay, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to do that. Then there are times where I can go off on my own and and work on the things that I think are going to benefit people or work on a, a, a bigger, longer term project. And we're, we're constantly having the debate, including a half an hour ago, uh, myself and Rob talking about best projects, the the delta for people in, in what they can do versus what's too much. Yeah. Making a putter, for instance, I put a lot of time and effort into making a, uh, a putter and uh, not a blade putter, whatever the other ones are called. But um, I made this putter. I'm very proud of it. I think the video is pretty good. Uh, I'm, I'm happy with it. Comparatively, nobody watched it compared to like five materials you should put on your CNC. You know, was, yeah. And I, that's like got to be like, that's got to be frustrating, right? Because sometimes people just want those quick hit, like, yeah, do this, do this, do this, this. And there you are doing this elaborate project that you're super proud of. It's like, come on, guys. Like, I yeah. really like this one. <laughs> so here's how a project starts. So I start with an idea. Mm-hmm. I will make a bunch of notes, uh, use an iPad and notability. So for, for folks who are wanting to you know do this sort of thing, I, I use it as a, a notepad. So I write almost everything I have in here. I went digital with everything before I used to just make drawings. And I will then kind of bullet point out what I want to do, what projects I think are going to be a part of it, maybe some lines that come to mind or thought processes that, that work or don't work. Uh, catch phrases, lines, those kinds of things. I'm very used to working in an outline form and then going on live TV and whatever I say, I say. And if you ask me 10 minutes later what I said, I probably don't remember. <laughs> so I start with that and then I'll sit down and start designing things. And that that's the part that probably takes the most time off camera that you don't see. Right. Nobody wants to see me run the CAD for three hours or four hours to figure out the right pocketing of a Wrigley Field sign, which is what I was doing today. Or I was testing a machine and so I had this elaborate Pac-Man thing and I was trying to pocket it the way I wanted to pocket. It's still not right, I've run it twice, doesn't matter. Uh, So I'll spend a lot of time on the CAD and the item. Then I have to make the item. So I go down and I film myself making the item. And then I have to figure out, okay, I've made the item, here's what happened or didn't happen. What's the story behind what worked, what didn't work? Where has it gone from where I thought we were starting and going to end up to where we actually ended up? That's not always, you know, here. It sometimes is there or here or wherever. Mm -hmm. And so I start to put that story together. There's a video coming up on Tuesday. I just was outputting the near final version of it. And it started out in one process. And then the actual the second process that I tried was way more fun, I think, is better in terms of its usability and accessibility. So. I have to be flexible about that. There are some projects I've just flat out abandoned that are sitting here. I've got pieces of brass from them that didn't work. I've got pieces of aluminum that almost worked. Like, (laughs) I feel like that's part of the process, like for, especially for digital fab, like, because the idea of doing iterative design is so ingrained in the idea of digital fab to begin with. The whole reason you buy this machine is so you can pivot quickly when something doesn't work. So. Go cut. I mean, that, that's yeah. you can sit in the CAD forever. And no matter what, it's not going to be right the first time. And my advice is get to a point where you think you're going to learn something. Mm-hmm. Go do it. Don't expect to get it right on the first one. Expect to get it right on the third one. So you do the first one, 
You learn a few things, gets messed up, it flings apart. Okay, whatever. Try it again. And just know you're going to go through some material and you might break a cutter. That's just part of it. And, and if you're hung up on the money all the time, which some folks seem to be, it's, it's not going to work great. Uh, you can, you've given that advice a few times in the videos too. Like when you'll, when you're talking about a material, like the, I think it was in the coin video where you're like, buy a few, you're going to ruin a couple, but you're going to get it right eventually. And once you get it right, you're not going to get it wrong again. And it's like, yeah, you really do have to be willing to, in some instances within reason, throw caution to the wind. You can't be yeah. scared like, oh no, I bought three coins and only one of them is going to turn out. That's going to break me. Then this is probably not the thing you need to be doing. Like it's just, and it's not me being a jerk or being elitist. It's just, that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. Don't full send on the dollar coin from 1897. <laughs> Maybe cut like five or six blanks before you go ahead and throw that one in the machine. If you got one of something. Yeah. Uh, and you have to remain flexible throughout the whole thing anyway. There totally. are plenty of times where I'm pivoting because I messed something up. It's no different than regular woodworking. And yes, CNC is woodworking. Uh, it's no different than that where you're building a piece of furniture. It's three quarters built. And you all of a sudden mess something up and you have to figure out how it's a feature or how to make all four <laughs> parts that way instead of just the one part you screwed up. Because I built custom furniture it's rustic. <laughs> Rustic. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I built custom furniture on the side for the last mm -hmm. five years before I was ever here. Uh, wow. So I've done a lot of practical application of selling things, making awards, selling furniture, working with clients. I did all that on the side of my broadcast career for five years before I ever came to Carbide 3D. So very much, uh, I'm glad that that genuine enthusiasm for it which I love making stuff and the, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Authenticity comes mm -hmm. through in that. Yeah. I I've been in your shoes. I understand. I get it. And I'm telling you, get over it. Just like a good coach would do. I'm telling you, get over <laughs> it. So have, have you done anything? Have you done anything in your time doing this? Cause you've done a lot of projects. Have you done anything in your time doing this where you went, I can't believe I did that. Like, I can't believe this machine is capable of doing that. Like, have you ever surprised yourself with what you were able to pull off? The putter's pretty good. Putter's pretty uh, good. That's probably the most complicated one because it was flip machining and there were a number of stops and starts and tooling issues. And I had never cut that big of a block of aluminum. And then I had to figure out how to polish it. And there are four 3D prints, two MDF versions, and three aluminum versions two of which never got out of the block no there's there might be four maybe one got it yeah because i have one that's out of the block that was okay wow <laughs> so people have to understand that <clears throat> that's happening here too i'm under the same factors that you are at home i get it i and get it <laughs> you work you literally work at the company that makes the machines and you're having this like this isn't like a guy yeah. who's just a really advanced user in his garage you are having these issues in the place where the machine walks out the door to a customer <laughs> i can tell you that yesterday i put a, a piece in the nomad and then i went to engrave it and my zero point was the left front corner in my program but it was <laughs> no. supposed to be in the middle 
So Ooh. what do you think the machine did? The machine ran over and crashed into the side. And I was like, huh, why did that happen? <laughs> oh, I'm an idiot. That's why. Because right, so, the machine did what I told it to do. That's why it happened. <laughs> thank you. The machine does whatever you tell it to do. 99% of the time, you told it to do the wrong thing. And that goes yep. for me, too. We had I had this conversation on um, episode two with Al Schultz from New York Woodworks. He runs a very large scale, like industrial grade CNC. And mm -hmm. we had the same conversation. It's like, you know, the machine is literally just going to do what you tell it to do. If you're an idiot, then the machine's just as dumb as you are. It's just a lot more powerful than you are. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it, it is. And it's it's humbling at times. And yeah to to be putting out content and dealing with some of that too lots of people miss winston you know lots of people wonder where he is somebody yesterday where's winston he's locked in my basement <laughs> he's down there with dr dre so we don't speak of winston we don't speak of winston he's just we feed him under the door once in a while just to make sure he lives <laughs> that's right i put up a, a picture of him a while back we had him in an enclosure at a zoo building shape ocos in the middle of the island <laughs> That's where his happy place is. No, Winston's a, a tremendous resource. And I, I have much affection for what he did getting into CNC and, and his, his devotion to the engineer view of things. Uh, I, I like that. I think it, it, for a lot of folks, they would like to connect with him and maybe with another viewpoint, which is mine, where I'm not an engineer. I think like an engineer sometimes. I just cut a lot of stuff. <laughs> and I'm I'm looking always, whether it's a video or a project, to refine what it is I'm doing. I'm constantly doing that. I'm constantly fiddling with the process. I'm constantly fiddling with my tool paths. You ask about the process of making a video. I've changed it five times. Uh, I'm trying to learn all the time to do things better. I I look at my videos and I'm disappointed they don't look like some other videos that to me look better. No different than with the stuff. Sometimes you make something and you go, ah, it's not quite as good as that other thing I saw. You'll get there. Do it again. You know, do it again. Just keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. You don't get better by not doing it. Like even, even at the beginning, like I did the, um, when I first got my machine, I was, man, I got to tell you, I was as comfortable as I was with it was as little as I knew about it. Like it was like, no, I can do this. Like I, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. And I knew nothing. And I right. went to Al's and he showed me a couple of little things about how he operates on his machine. And I came home and it was like, somebody flipped a switch in my head and yeah. I was like, okay, the little bit I've used the machine plus what I learned from him. And now it's like, no, I'm using it. I'm using it. Even I moved it in the back of a pickup from my basement to my new shop. And I did my first test cuts with it. And I knew what to check before I did the test cuts. Like I was comfortable enough to know to just send the test cut, like just let it go, yep. let it go. <laughs> yep. And it's like, wow, this wasn't me a couple of years ago. This me was like the marker test scared me, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah, take yeah. the marker to the spindle and I'm crapping my pants going, what if it crashes? Yeah, what if it crashes? It's a marker. What's going to happen? <laughs> so. You don't know, right? And and the 30 days policy that we have is something you won't find with any other company. I, no. I, I try and come off as genuine because I genuinely believe in this company. It shows. Before I worked here. It really does show. I'm not just Great. saying that because you're my guest. It actually does show. If I didn't think you were genuine, you wouldn't be here. 
I really do think that that comes across in your videos, which is why I like your videos so much. Thank you. Yeah, I, I believe in this company. I believe in the way we treat customers. Mm -hmm. You will not find anyone in any industry who treats customers the way we do. I, I would agree with that from experience. And, and, me, and mine before I worked here. Mm -hmm. They sent me parts and they got there the next day. I was like, why did that happen? <laughs> yeah, I, I truly believe in this company and, and what we're trying to do and the people behind it and uh, the products. The Shape Oco 5 is going to be an incredible machine. It's wild. It, it already, I, I've been working with uh, the one we have right now. It's uh, it, it's an early pre-production prototype and, and there are lots of things about it that are so much better. One comment, if you're thinking about buying a Shape Oco 5, I'd put the extra money into a BFD spindle. It's yeah. worth doing. Whatever you got to do, beg, borrow, steal, sell, you know, more products, $750. If you're going to go so pro, go better. pro. GoPro. <laughs> like yeah. I, I, w I will say this just, just as someone who owns a three, it's been amazing to watch like that machine already started out ahead of the competition in that sector, right? The home slash prosumer level. You were already, that machine was already, which is why I bought it. It was an easy sell for me. It's like, Oh, it's more rigid. And you know, you get the base model and be functional, or you can get a couple of options that really just change things a little bit. Yeah. And so you get like the bit setter and the bit zero and all these, all these additional things that you guys make available. It's like, Hey, you can go bare bones or you could do this. And I loved what that was as like, almost like a modular type machine and the evolution of where it's gone, the four, the pro, the five. And it's like, wow. Like I, you're like, I'm like way behind. Yet the software is still evolving. Right. And it's still got me covered. Like I made a $2,700 investment, you know, three years ago, and I don't feel like I've lost money on it. You know, it's, no it's, kind yeah. of, it's kind of nice to know that, oh, so yeah, all these years later, that machine is still supported. And I noticed in the software, you still support, you guys still support the original Shape Oco. Right. It's like, you're not abandoning your users just because you came out with a new machine. I like that. I mean, that kind of gives me a little bit of security. It's like, oh, I'm not going to throw 2,800 bucks and then go, oh, a year later. Yeah, that's the last version of the software that's ever going to support it and whatever. It's it's clearly, yeah. the company is clearly one. I hate to, I don't want to make this sound like a salesy video, but it just, the company just operates differently. It's a story into itself where the people, it looks like the people who are selling the machines actually use them and, aren't just trying to sell more machines. I mean, obviously you want to sell more machines, but you're not selling it by just cutting off the old ones and forcing people to upgrade. I encourage people to go and read, go mm -hmm. and read the internet. And you always have to read between the lines of the internet, but sure. go and read, go in the Facebook groups, the beginners group for Shapeoko, the Shapeoko metal workers group, go in any of those groups and, and see what's happening with the machines. And I can certainly go on and on about why I think our machines are the best machines, whatever. It's only going to have as much credibility as it has these days because I'm, right. I'm part of the company. But uh, these are things I believe before. Working here has only made me believe them more. Uh, and for me, it's not tied to a paycheck. For me, it's tied to my belief system and, and my, what my experience has been. So you can take it or leave it at, at that, whoever you know is listening to this. But that's that's where I'm at. So. 
do you do you still so since making and video production are your your basically part a big part of your job function do you yeah. still find time to make personal stuff like do you pursue your own passion projects just off camera like for yourself or does I mean, it get to the point yeah. where you're just tired of doing this stuff and you want to get away from it when you're home? It's a matter of how much time do I have? I have two boys. Now they're they're men. They're 18 and 20. But I go and watch my older son play volleyball. That's my main uh, other thing I'm doing on the weekends or hang out with my wife since I'm here making stuff full time. It's definitely cut into the time I used to have to make my own stuff. But if you take that amount of time and then you say, well, now I'm making stuff this amount of time great. I'm making more stuff because I'm here at work making stuff every day. And we're the only company that does that. We're the only company that has people, me, full-time cutting things every day. And that's true of support staff as well. When they're not on the phone or answering an email, mm -hmm. they're making stuff. Our guy Nick's making jewelry or he's, a, or he's carving up uh, something or he's 3D printing something or whatever. It's a, a group of people who like to make stuff. My favorite part of a project is the reveal. To, to oh, yeah that I make when you give it to somebody, the reveal and them loving it. That's why I'm here. That's there that, you know, if I'm going to start doing a little Matthew McConaughey, you know, that, <laughs> I always see that too. Like, you know, it's nice to make something that's cool, but then when you give it to someone and it hits them right in the, right in the, right in the feels yeah. and you could tell you connected with them and they're just like shocked that you made them something so cool, whatever it is, whatever, you know, and I'm saying this to everyone listening slash watching, whatever your thing is, I think we all know that the best part of making stuff for other people is the reaction. Like, I'd rather get a great reaction than a big paycheck from something. I really would. I enjoy the yeah. reactions a lot more than the money. The money, money's money. Money's nice. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm a charity. But at the same time, you know, when you give something and they start getting a little emotional about it, it's like, I did good. Like you could just go home to that night and go, yeah, I made somebody really happy today. It's an amazing feeling. Yep. You can turn a, a bunch of bamboo into a memorable moment. Mm -hmm. It's wild. It's wild. It's, yeah. it's, it's incredible. You know, one of the things, one of the recurring themes so far on the, on this show and what it was before it was, was um, digitally creative is the amount of, production you could essentially do out of your garage like people have yep. be gone from being you know to an extent they've gone from being craftsmen to being small manufacturers you know yep. you can you can mass produce things at an alarming rate like i have um i have a little jig that i sell that i 3d print and it's for cutting boards and it's for locating where the holes on the corners of cutting board cutting boards goes for you to drill for you to put the feet on I've seen this. And I mass produced I mass produced these, you know, 36 in a batch at a time on one 3D printer. And mm -hmm. I just keep cycling the card out, clear the bed, put it back on, run it again, run it again, run it again, run it again. And I'm like, I'm doing this out of my house. Like I'm not farming out the manufacturing. I'm not going to a company that does injection molding. I'm just making sure. them as I need them. I'm making as many as I need. That was unheard of. 20 years ago like you you didn't do that you hired a guy they they you know you had a tool made that cost you twenty thousand dollars for the design and the production of the tool and then you had a minimum order quantity of ten thousand pieces and it ends up costing you fifty thousand dollars to do ten thousand dollars in sales you know yeah i'm looking to see if i still have the thing here i don't 
I guess I took it home. Yeah, I did that. I went through that whole experiment. It's I, I went to China. I had a product made, had it all imported, couldn't sell it because that's a whole other thing. Getting something made is tough. Selling it's even harder. Yeah. And, uh, and ended up eating it all. But that was part of my education, part of, part of landing here, part of kind of my second iteration or now this is the third iteration of me. So broadcast was second. This this is the third. It makes you want to it makes you want to do it yourself. Because like, I know this thing is something people will want. I need to find a way to make it into a thing that people can buy. Like this is, this is a good idea. And just because I can't get a company to manufacture it, or I can't come up with the capital to get it done, doesn't make it a less valid idea. So I have to do it on a small scale. Uh, my friend, Thomas Bache, he literally just had a Kickstarter for a tripod that has magnets on it and is 3d printed out of tpu and it's it's this wild thing that's got little magnetic feet it's called the frog pod okay and he did this he did this insane kickstarter and made 30 some odd thousand dollars on a kickstarter there's nobody that would have made this thing and he made it himself like in his own shop he made this one product and it's an amazing product and it's like yeah imagine if he had said Oh, I can't find a factory in China to make this for me. No one should have it. And then nobody would have had it. Right. You know, this, all these people bought it and they jumped on the Kickstarter and people have been genuinely excited about it and finding innovative ways ways to use it. But that's not a that's not a thing anymore. You could do it yourself. I see it you here. Could, it's product. wild, right? Like it's a great idea. It's like, wow, this is one of those like once in a lifetime, why didn't I think of that ideas? And he thought of it and he did a great job bringing it to the market. Yeah, the frog pod is pretty good. I like that. Yeah. You could make the gecko pod, just knock him off. <laughs> just start knocking off my buddy. Like, Tom, listen, I got news for you. I'm in your space now. <laughs> Have you seen the gecko pod? It's like a frog pod, but way better. <laughs> I, I do I do love it though. I, this is what generally this is what genuinely gets me excited about, you know, the digital fab space and you know, the idea that you can have an idea. All right, granted, it's not going to be a linear idea production, you know, sales, but what it's going to be is I have the idea, let me work on my idea. I'm going to work on my idea. I'm going to figure out how to make it real. I have machines. All right, it may not be the easiest process, but I can do it you know, at least yeah. get a couple out there. Well, why have the machines? That, that's one of the questions. Why would you even have a CNC machine or a 3D printer or a table saw or whatever it may be? Do you, do you have it to make money or do you have it because you want to be able to do these things? I would argue that most people have them because they want to be able to do things. Mm -hmm. Because making one of something is hard enough to make one of something that you're proud of or that works perfectly or is interesting or all of the above. Making a hundred of those things is much more difficult. Yeah. By by not a factor of a hundred, by a factor of a thousand. Sure. To to get them to come out right, to be able to sell them for enough money, to spend your time that way. When the pandemic hit, and you can imagine how much sports was on TV when the pandemic hit. <laughs> uh, I I took delivery of a laser of a, a thirty six by twenty four laserable area laser. You know, hundred and twenty watts and. When the pandemic hit, it was, hey, this is a way to make money. Here's yeah. here's cash flow for you uh, with this machine. And I did, for one order, I did 440 cups in the laser. So it was 
three football Sundays and the intervening two weeks to sit there and every 12 minutes, change the cup, hit play, change a cup, hit play, clean it, wipe it down, get all the extra powder coat off. Okay. Package it back in the box, put it in the box, get that box out, open up the new boxes. Like I was a little manufacturing studio for three weeks. You know, I, if you just do the machine time alone, forget the changes, 12 minutes times 440 is something close to 86 hours of the machine actually running. Forget however long it takes me to change a cup. Yeah. And that's a different, that's a different commitment. Not everybody wants that. Um, some people want to do it on different things. My, my hero, if I had to grow up and be somebody, it's Adam Brackney, okay. worker man. If I had to, if I had to become somebody in the maker universe, that dude, his stuff is so creative and interesting. His pictures are fantastic. His marketing on IG is outstanding. Uh, there is a lot to love about what Adam is doing. If you're looking for an example of someone who is making money with the machines, utilizing his skills and growing, and he's gone from an 883 to an 883 Pro to a Nomad 3 to an HDM, and he runs them all. And his stuff is top notch. So if you look him up, Worker Man, W-K-R-M-N, I believe that's right. Worker Man, yeah, M-N, on Instagram. Uh, he's just doing great stuff. He's fantastic. Actually, his numbers in the five materials are the ones that I quoted from Adam when it comes oh, nice. to Ultim. So somebody said, Ultim's not realistic. You can't use it in projects. False. <laughs> but even if you, all right, let's right, let's say that's true. Not everything has to be for projects. So when you buy the Glowforge, the first thing they do is they send you a bunch of, they send you some materials. And one of the right. materials they send the most of is draft board. It's right. called draft board for a reason. <laughs> you're, not you're not supposed to make to your it. final. Yeah. You're not supposed to make your final projects out of it. You're supposed to try, see if it works. Yep. Then you make your final projects out of it. Like even if Ultem couldn't be used in a final project. Just assuming it's true. So what? So what? Pink foam can't eat pink um, insulation foam can't either. And I see a lot of people carving pink right. insulation foam to right. test to test that their STLs look good when you finally get around to carving them. Right. You know, it's just kind of the way it works. Just test some weird ideas, like make some dice, make some large dice <laughs> just for fun. Make them. Your opposing life. sides total seven on those. They better. Uh, yeah, I made them correctly, I believe. Okay, <laughs> I had a friend that made it. I had a friend that made long dice. Well, that's ten. Hang on. Wait, uh oh. Oh no. Yeah, six and one. Okay. Five, two. Yeah. Four. Okay. Good. Three. Yeah. I, I, I looked up the order. I have a friend. I have a friend who made a set of lawn dice, and my OCD was like like ringing off the freaking charts because I'm like, dude you can't put a one, two, and three that close together. They're supposed to be opposing sides. Right. And he goes, yeah, I know. A lot of people have told me. I know. <laughs> like, okay. So you just pissed off every dice user. <laughs> well, this is an interesting project from a standpoint of uh, a design challenge. Sure. So how do you cut this deep anyway? This is 44, almost 45 millimeters across. I cut it with a 201. If you saw back on IG, I was digging deep with a 201. I was making these. Uh, ah. How do you chamfer all the edges? How do you chamfer every side? You have to make every side. You have to work hold every side. Did you? Also did challenging. You, did you cut a hole in your bed? Nope. <laughs> oh, wow. So I guess this is going to be a future video is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, these will come up eventually. 
they're just uh, they're on the side while I'm being told to make other videos at the moment. So my buddy, my buddy Jeff Stein, um, he goes by a weird guy on Instagram. He's also he and I got our machines probably three weeks apart, okay. and the stuff he has done with his, like he uses Fusion three hundred and sixty for everything. Yeah. And the stuff that he's managed to do, like he figured out a great way to create stops and he did a group bust out of Walnut and it's just, it was right. wild. And he's yeah. started doing, he started doing like different busts out of wood and he figured out how to, how to, how to design it in fusion 360 and then how to carve it on the shape Oko by making basically affirmative stops and rotating the piece and carving this side and then yep. doing again. And it's like, has it has it blown your mind? Like, I mean, you know what the machines are capable of because you use them. But has anyone come out and gone, "Hey, look what you can do with this machine"? And you go, "Wait, you could do what?" Like, has anyone pulled a rabbit out of their hat that blew your mind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, routinely, uh, I'm trying to think of his name. Hold on, Dutch guy. We had him on the oh, podcast. I knew it, Van Hoof. Van Hoof. Yeah, Was it Van- yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to mention him. Dennis, that guy's insane. Dennis, right? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't looked up Dennis's stuff in a while, but Dennis what he home. does, yeah, because he's you talk about cutting a hole in your in your bed, and that's what he was like the first person I ever saw do that. By the way, yeah, Dennis does amazing stuff. I mean, the T Rex is dumb. The the, the whale or the whale. I the just, whale the was ridiculous. Does, the stuff he does is just stupid. It's so good and, <laughs> and impressive. And yeah, I I'm blown away by that. So Adam, Adam has me on design that I, I love the, the patterns, the repeating patterns, the theming, the, the little added elements that he's doing to the things he's doing. I, I love all that. I love his artistic bend. Dennis, I love the ability to conceive a project in all those different dimensions. Because yeah. a lot of what you're doing when you're, when you're starting CNC, you're learning how the machine moves. Yeah. And you're learning to think in the same way the machine moves. And additionally, you have to learn to think the way the software works. Yeah. So Fusion, essentially a lot of Fusion, not all of it, but a lot of it when you compare it to Create, mm-hmm. it's just doing math for you. Right. That's what it's doing. Create, you can do a lot of the same things. Most 99% of what I do is done in Create. This is all in Create. You just have to know where your part is in space, or you have to understand where it has to go or where it has to move or how it has to be held in order for you to machine a certain feature. There's limitations to that. Sure. But a lot of what you're doing when you're learning is you're learning how to think like the software and think like the machine. And the machine is you, but understand the limitations of the machine or the architecture of the machine and the cutters. Mm-hmm. So I think it can be a little intimidating at times, um, but like somebody will say, you can't use you can't use a a V mill for chamfers. Sure you can. You can. You just got to know where to put the tip. <laughs> exactly. You just move it. You you have to make a chamfer layer. Just go whoop, move it right off, and then drop it down. So you're cutting with that angle. You can also just buy a chamfer mill, but you know if you don't have one, you have a three hundred one and three hundred two. Use that. You can use a five hundred one and a five hundred two. When it comes mm-hmm. to smaller stuff and aluminum edges, so just start to start to think that way, start to train yourself, and all of this. The overarching thing is, go do it. Go do it. Yeah, I I did that. I the first time I did a juice groove on a cutting board, 
I was, I was, you, you, it's funny you said the way the machine moves because that's exactly what I had to do. I'm like, okay, I have this bull nose bit and that's how I'm going to cut the juice groove. So how do I tell carbide 3d how to move this bit? And I thought about it and I'm like, you don't No. draw a rectangle that's far enough in so that when it cuts, you've already done the compensation for how wide the bit is. And that was the, the aha moment. Like I figured it out. And I went downstairs and I went to my CNC and I drew, I figured out the dimensions of the board, held it down. And I just drew a rectangle that was smaller than the dimensions of the board, centered it, did 16th inch passes or 32nd inch passes. And I did eight of them to go the depth of the board. And I just let it run. And I sped it up a little bit as it was running. And as I'm watching, I'm like, wow, I actually figured this out. And it went from a process that I had no idea how to do to like, oh, the aha moment was stop worrying about seeing it on the screen. Understand what you're doing. Yes. Know where the line would need to, where the center of that bit needs to be and make sure it's in the same spot all the way around the board and everything else will figure itself out. And you know what? It did. <laughs> so if you hang out with engineers... You'll spend a lot of time in theory and will this work or that's going to exceed tolerances or that's mm -hmm. not going to do this or that's too much of that. Spend time with contractors or home repairmen or, you know, practical application people. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it holds 500 pounds or a thousand pounds. If you're putting 250 pounds on it, makes no difference. <laughs> doesn't matter. I don't care. I just know that it's way stronger than the load that I'm going to put on it. Or when it comes to that, that cutter, I had that same realization when I was learning like, well, this bit is an odd shape and it's not really programmed into create because I was early on create. How do I get it to cut here? Oh, well, you just tell it to cut on the line and it doesn't matter what it has. It's practically going to do this thing. Yeah. Whether the, the software knows or doesn't know what the result yeah. is. And in, in, to your point, the 3D model, who cares? I know what the result's going to be in real life. And yep. IRL is what matters. Doesn't doesn't need to know it's a Roman OG. It just needs to know it makes the line here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you just run on the line and it will it will do that. And whatever cutter you have will practically make the mark that it made. Because you know what? People worked in practicality before. Sure. They would take the, the router and they were the machine, but they had to know practically what that bit was going to do. So, you know, you have a one inch wide bull bit or a half inch. Don't run a one inch a half inch wide or a quarter inch wide bowl bit. And you're going to, you're going to run that thing and it's going to make this size mark if I dig it this deep. And the only way that that guy knew that back then is because he did it. He ran the thing and went, Oh, well, okay. That's the mark that it makes. Where can I put that mark? It's the same stuff. It's, it's, it's wild. It's wild to think I was, I don't remember who I was having this conversation with, but you know, the average skill of like a home CNC operator probably meets or exceeds the skill of like a professional manufacturer 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Like you, people, you know, with people in their garage have a skill set now that you used to go to school for. Now, granted, you may not be like, um, a you may not have a complete breadth of knowledge. I understand that. And that's, it's, I'm not even saying that, but it's amazing. Like you see people like Dennis is a good example. He does this all in a shed and it's Correct. like his level of skill is like, wait, what? Winston in his garage, all mm -hmm. these people doing these crazy things. And it's like people 
went to school for, you know, years and then apprenticed under people and then had 20 years of on the job experience. And we're all just doing it. It's like, we don't even think about it anymore. Like everyone has fusion 360. No one realizes that CAD in 1980 was a big honking deal. And now everybody just uses it. It's like, oh no, no, we're just using fusion 360, even carbide create, you know, the, the, the included software I've watched that evolve so much to the point where it's like, huh, all the stuff that I used to have to know how to use fusion or like couldn't do it all. Now it's like, wow, if you get the pro subscription and you just use it like rest machining, I didn't even know what that was until a couple of weeks ago. And once I understood, I'm like, oh my God, how have I not been doing every project? Do like it makes every project faster. Every single project is faster. It is a huge ad. And now I know what rest machining is. And yet there are probably machinists. There were machinists 20 years ago who had never done it. Like they didn't know what it even was. It's wild. Well, you probably remember the pre bit setter days. I remember it. Yeah. Cause that was, well, I didn't have the machine yet, but yeah, once I got the bit setter that changed. Yeah. Yeah. I had a three yeah. with no bit setter cause it didn't exist. And then I bought yeah. the bit setter and I was like, like the angels came down from heaven and there was music and stuff. <laughs> now I've been using one of our machines without a bit setter due to a couple of circumstances and hopefully will not continue much longer. And I, I want to just like throw myself out a window <laughs> because the Z is never the same. Like it's just not yeah. going to be the same. It's, it's the same with the bit setter. So yeah, the overarching message, if I could tell people one thing, send it, sure. go cut yeah, something, just go cut something, go cut it, whatever it is, just go cut it and know that it's not going to be perfect, but it's going to get better. That's I, it. And, I, and that's been, it out. that's been my philosophy with like everything with like 3d printer filament, you know, laser materials, wood in the, in the, in my shape Oko. It's the same thing. It's like, just have enough that you can afford a mistake or get an analog that's as close to what your final thing is going to be and work on that until you can work on the final thing. But just, you're never going to be able to predict everything the machine's going to do. And you'll predict it a hundred percent. And it's still going to drag that, that end mill across it the first time every once in a while, because you screwed up when you set it up. Yeah, you said you're never going to be able to predict what the machine's going to do. It's actually yeah. you're never going to be able to predict what you're going to do until the 100%. machine. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah, I like to yeah. blame. Well, you know, I like to blame the machine. Let's be honest; it's always the machine's fault, even it's when it's my fault. It's the, the machine's, machine's fault. fault. Yes. It's obviously, <laughs> the machine's fault. <laughs> what we've been going about um, just about an hour. Why don't we um, go on to things of the week? Because I'm very curious to see what you picked for your uh, thing of the week this week. I know I was supposed to pick something, but give me the parameters again here. Uh, it's literally anything that you're really interested in at the moment that you think people need to know about. All right. So here's here's what I've been working on because I get buried in Ooh. it. So, okay. Uh, rub and buff. Do you know what rub and buff oh, is? Oh, dude, rub and buff is amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. I love so it. That's what I've been working with. And I, I am okay. amazed at what people are doing with it. I had no idea this whole universe existed. That's part of the fun of, of this job is that I get to kind of dive into a universe and go, wow, that that's really cool. That's interesting. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So all the cosplay stuff that people do and mm-hmm. the costuming and uh, Nerf gun mods in particular are just yep. nuts. Uh, mm-hmm. bravo to the actual artists out there who can do these <laughs> things uh, and, and essentially paint on items that, yeah yeah that you can do that 
that was, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed people. I enjoyed discovering people's stories as a, as a TV person. That was half the job at least. Mm-hmm. And the partnership, I really enjoyed that process of meeting that artist of meeting summer and getting a chance to, to kind of blow her mind with, with her stuff in another medium. Uh, I, I am always impressed with people who can take a two dimensional thing, a piece of paper and turn it into a three dimensional scene or more. And those that do it in the CAD space who take a blender and can make a character in blender. Oh, it's amazing. I, I am going to figure out how to make this a thing in my own life that I can actually do, but I'm not there yet. And I'm super impressed with those that are. It's, it's, it's kind of wild. I've, I've seen some crazy stuff. There was, um, the chaos Cortex is um a youtube channel he i don't know if he uploads anymore i don't think he does but he used to do all of his stuff in um in zbrush and he okay. would like he did like buzz lightyear in zbrush and he just did it one end to the other like the full sculpt and he did the video it's like and it's just ridiculous and now once you have it he would 3d print it and then his wife chelsea would paint everything because she was like a really amazing painter and he has all these models. He used to have all these models on his st- on his set of yeah. stuff that he had made over the years. And it's just, it's incredible. Rub and Buff, by the way, I have recommended it to so many people. It is yeah. crazy when you're, what I love, the best use I've seen for it is if somebody's making like a prop gun, like a black prop gun, and you want it to look weathered and you take the right. silver and you kind of dry brush it in certain spots. It looks like the black is worn away to the silver underneath and that stuff doesn't come off. It's, it's amazing stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's metallic wax paste is what it is. Yeah. It's not rub and buff is a brand name. There are other brand names under pent art and there's a whole bunch of Etsy sellers and stuff. Mm-hmm. They're all going to have a little bit different chemical properties, but the, the rub and buff in particular, I too am impressed with once it dries, it it's doesn't durability move. and things. So you're going to, you're going to see it in, in the video next week. And then you're going to see it in another video, probably the week after um, with another bend to what I would do with it. Uh, I, I just want to, in the, in the realm of impressed with things, you asked me earlier about my background and stuff. I, mm-hmm. I tried to play guitar. <laughs> you and, and me both. I tried as being, try being the word. <laughs> I eventually decided that if you wanted me to take the guitar apart and put it back together, that I could do. Mm-hmm. Could I make it sound good? No. And I've had friends who picked up a guitar and six months later, they were like a singer songwriter. Like, how do you do that? I don't understand <laughs> how you do that, but good for you. I'm, I'm blown away. So they're right up there with the artists who can turn, you know, Bob Ross, who can put a happy tree here and this there, there. And all of a sudden it's a mountain scene where once there was only blank paper. <laughs> I thought about, I thought about my thing of the week. I thought about my thing of the week for this episode. And as we're recording this, it's November 10th. This episode is going to air a little bit after that. And I've been trying to think what my thing of the week should be because it's it's interesting when you you feel like, oh, I feel like I've talked about this a lot, but I think I had a perfect thing of the week considering you're my guest this week. Um, if you've ever asked me, and I'm saying this to anyone listening to the show, if you've ever asked me what to use for designing vectors that isn't Adobe Illustrator, because okay. nobody wants to pay subscriptions. I love Adobe Illustrator. If I ever turn that subscription off, you should probably come looking for me. I might be in like physical distress. I might be dying if I ever stop using Adobe Illustrator. But when people ask me what to use that isn't a subscription, 
Um, they'll often say they'll use Inkscape, and I just don't like Inkscape. I'll never like Inkscape. It feels like graphic design designed by computer programmers. I love Affinity Designer. And okay. Affinity just dropped version two of all their apps, Publisher, Photo, and Designer. And they have added some incredibly cool features to the new version of Affinity Designer. Um, and it's a really capable, it was really capable before, but now they added stuff from Adobe Illustrator like a shape builder tool, which if you've ever used Adobe Illustrator, the most powerful tools in there are shape builder and pathfinder. And if you use those tools, you'll now have analogs in Affinity Designer. It's not a free upgrade anymore, but right now, as I'm as we're recording this, it's 40% off the um, regular price. I would say if you don't want a subscription and you're not a crazy intense industry standards requiring user, Affinity Designer is still a damn good bet because once you buy it, it's yours. You don't have to subscribe after that. Even, even I think full price for designer is like $55 and you own it. So yeah, so, I have and it they have an, it's a, I was just going to say the, the iPad version is fantastic. Like yeah. it was what I used before Illustrator came out on the iPad. It's really, really good. It's very good vector software. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. It's and good people stuff. People are making amazing stuff with it. I'm always oh, the front photos. I love <laughs> it's And yeah, that's, I do like that. They highlight the people that use the app on their, on the app. It's kind of neat. So. It is. That's going to definitely be my thing of the week, the Affinity Designer. I don't use Photo, and I've never used Publisher. I used Publisher ages ago. Um, the company that makes the Affinity software is Serif, and Serif made a program called Serif Publisher ages ago, and I used that. It was pretty good, you know. But I really am enthusiastic about Affinity Designer because I feel I feel like they're pushing the envelope a little bit for people that don't want to spend Illustrator money, which is probably most people. I, I but you know what I think. Inkscape. Was that? I share your dislike of Inkscape. Yeah, I I don't think it's good. I mean, I, it's powerful. I know there are, there's a YouTube channel that I watch. I love the guy. He does literally only Inkscape tutorials for the most part, and it's powerful. But I've tried a million times to understand because I want to understand it to be able to tell people, hey, this is an alternative to what I use, which I admitted I admit is expensive. And it's just I can't I can't get excited about it. Like yeah. I just. I don't know. It doesn't feel like good software to me, but to each their own. I may be wrong. I, I readily admit that it's not for me, but it may be for you. Um, no, you're not wrong. <laughs> but you know what is for me? The people that support this show financially, and those people include Matthew Serio from Artigiano Serio, Al Schultz from New York Woodworks, Tori Decker from Tori Did It, Ed Swanson of Ed's Clocks and More, Jake Drews of Make With Jake, Megan Chris from Onyx Designs Woodworks, Christian Neary of Warren Works, Jeff Stein, a.k.a. A Weird Guy, Kim and Garrett from Kim and Garrett Make It, Rory Langefeld from RLO Woodworks and DIY, Robert J. Keller, Rebecca Cole from Bexie Designs, Brian Arsenault, the Seven Hills Maker, Lars Coleman of Colorado Multicraft, Dave Bauer of Dave Bauer Art, Jeremy Spies, and Mike from Pixels to Prototype. Thank you very much to those folks for supporting the show financially. If you would like to support the show financially, you can go to vincentmferrari.com. You can support the show there. If you can't, that's fine too. A review helps. All of it helps. Share the show. Tell someone about it. Get someone either listening to it in their podcast player or watching it on my YouTube channel, which of course, if you're watching this, you already know where to find that. Kevin, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, man. I, I 
it, I was a little bit starstruck when I got that support email from you. Like, wait, holy crap. It's him. It's the guy. It's the guy. And I actually told a friend of mine, I'm like, I'm not going to believe who answered this support email. It's like, it's Kevin, the guy on the chat. He's, he works like he's not just on camera. No, cool <laughs> so I, I am in the office every day you never know what what might happen uh i i didn't mention our podcast either the maker's garage we have a the maker's garage podcast just interviewing makers people Excellent. that use the machines and from all different genres just 15 20 minutes ish not even long and if people want to enjoy it go check it out it's on all the normal podcast platforms and they're for free excellent we will i will definitely make sure that that link is in the show notes so people can find the show. That's it's great, man. It's great. You guys do so much for the community. And I hope I, I always get nervous when I have someone that represents a company on the show, because I worry that people are going to think it's salesy, but I, I really, I wouldn't have someone on whose product I didn't believe in. And I feel like I had, like I said, I had a competitor's product. I never even got it fully assembled. And then I sold it to someone and he never got it fully assembled. And he sold it to someone who finally got it working because they didn't know. None of us wanted to like, I got through it and I didn't want to do it. And then I got, I got the shape Oko and in two hours on a work morning, I went from a box of parts to the marker test. Yep. Two hours. Like in the marker test. I know. And you know, well, as someone who had a Glowforge before I got my shape Oko, it still impressed me. It was like a two hour, two hours after spending a weekend to get nothing fully assembled and then ship the whole thing by UPS to somebody else versus two hours from six boxes to a marker test. It was, it was wild. And that's why I talk so much about Tweaky. That's what I named mine, Tweaky, Buck Rogers, robot sidekick companion. Yeah. Um, and that's why I talk so much about the company because I do believe in it. And part of the reason I believe in it is because you guys really do support what you sell. And I appreciate that. And I definitely appreciate you giving me so much of your time this evening. And um, I look forward to seeing what you're working on next. I love watching your videos. I love watching the wild things you do with the machine. I love the outside the box thinking. And, oh, I got a question. Okay. My, my girlfriend wanted to know, are you going to be doing more of those videos? Like where you're doing on scene shooting and stuff like that. Like where, like the one you did for Hawaii with um, Summer. Oh yeah, summer where I've gone, gone out. Yes, there will yeah. be other videos when I'm traveling to. You're other gonna get out of the audience. spaces. Yes, going. We were we, we were watching it. We're like, oh no, he has to go to Hawaii. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Sometimes, sometimes oh, my life is just a little rough. Yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, well, there'll be more of that. That that I try and do whenever I'm out of town, traveling around, doing my other broadcast stuff. I try and stop in and see somebody that has a machine or go by and visit. Last year, I went and saw Scott Dix. Uh, he's making the Western Valley Woodworks out in Knoxville, Tennessee, because I go to Nashville quite a bit. So mm -hmm. I went out and saw him. It's always fun to go in other people's shops and see what they're doing with the machines, how they're using it. That's all very informative for me, and it's always fun to, to meet people who are creative and, and doing it. Uh, I am definitely not pushing the envelope the way other people are, but I do love my machine, and I definitely am very grateful that you gave me so much of your time this evening, and I really appreciate it. So thank you for coming on. And I will have all of Kevin's links where you can find him and watch the YouTube channel and the podcast and all the good stuff that Kevin's working on will all be in the show notes as usual. And thank you for joining me this week, and I hope you enjoyed the show. 
We'll be back again next week with another guest. And until then, have a great week, everybody.